It's a damn tough life full of toil and strife we weathermen undergo. And we don't give a damn when the gale is done, how hard the winds did blow. Cause we're homeward bound from the Arctic ground with a good ship taut and free. And we won't give a damn when we drink our rum with the girls of old Maui. Rolling down to old Maui, me boys, rolling down to old Maui. We're homeward bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to old Maui. Welcome to Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements. I'm Mark. And I'm Ben. And today we watched the... 1926 silent film The Sea Beast. Which is technically an adaptation of Moby Dick. Yeah. Uh, And you know, it is. There's a whale called Moby Dick in it. The whale is white. There's a Captain Ahab, but. Yeah. um, Wikipedia calls this the first adaptation of Moby Dick, which I, I, I guess is probably true. It feels weird to me to say that because I'm like, how do you know that someone wasn't, I don't know writing some stage play or or doing some kind of work based well, on it. It but... is worth remembering that Moby Dick was more or less uh, forgotten for a long while. It was uh, very much lost cachet. It was not a success when it was first published. So the idea that there wasn't, at the very least, any large uh, following for interest in Moby Dick before its rediscovery in the early 20th century... Yeah, sure. I, I think, you know, I honestly, it probably is plausible. One thing that's definitely true is that it's the first film adaptation. Yes, um, yes. They weren't making films for very much before this. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's a weird, it's not very much an adaptation of Moby Dick. And I mean, not- it's... It's very much an adaptation of Moby Dick, but a lot of its decisions are to move away from the core components of Moby Dick. Uh, for example, they gave Ahab a last name. Yes, that's true. Um, there's no Ishmael in this. Yeah, not even a little Ishmael. Um, also, there's a love story. Yeah, no. And a um, happy ending. God, okay, so first of all, Ahab is the main character. Ahab Seeley is a young harpooner who, uh, after his wicked half-brother Derek pushes him off the boat during a uh, pursuit of Moby Dick, uh, he loses his leg. Moby Dick in this movie is not such a major entity. He's a white whale, certainly, and he's dangerous, but he seems to just like biting off people's legs, and that's it. No more death or destruction is done than Moby Dick is known to have bitten off someone else's leg in the past, and Ahab's leg now. So, there's a lot of differences. And then the uh, the actual major conflict of the story is that Derek, the wicked half-brother, is in love with... Uh, Ahab's sweetheart, Esther, the daughter of a missionary in Mauritius. Um, so this is why Derek gets his gets Ahab's uh, limb eaten, so that he can convince Ahab Esther couldn't possibly still be in love with him, so he can press his suit on Esther. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we may as well. There's a plot summary on Wikipedia, which gives you the bare bones. The plot oh. summary is wrong, though. Like, the Wikipedia plot summary is wrong. For example, it says that... Oh, okay, I just want to okay, read okay. the plots. Don't... Okay. I want to read it, just so people know the general arc of what happens in this movie. But yes, no, I'm not nearly as concerned with giving everyone the blow-by-blow of everything that happens in this movie as we were with... Uh, the, the whale, whale god, because this is not nearly as good a movie as the whale god. Brutal, brutal. It isn't! <sighs> so... 
At the beginning of the story, Ahab, uh, played by John Barrymore, who's probably the most famous person in this film, yeah, I would say. Yeah, and this is apparently one of his more like successful or well-known films, given that it's given in, like, the... On his Wikipedia page, it is one of, like, the five films listed in his, like, pre-body of the text introduction, like, short summary. Yeah. Uh, and his half-brother, Derek, George O'Hara, compete for the affections of a winsome minister's daughter... Esther Wiscasset. Now I don't remember her. Yeah, last, I don't last remember her last here. name coming up. Wait even a minute. Once. Later, they we see that sign on the door, and her father's name is John Harper. Yeah, surely she's Esther Harper. I don't know what that's about. Oh, you know what? This might be referencing the 1930 talkie remake. Oh, that has to be it, especially because later on the Wikipedia page on the cast list, they say that her name is Esther Harper. Yes. So. I hope someone was fired about that error at Wikipedia, the volunteer encyclopedia. Anyway, um, uh, Esther, played by Dolores Costello, who married uh, John Barrymore not long after they played this film together. So apparently it was a genuinely romantic experience for them, if not for us. <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like the romantic acting of the two of them in the same scene is some of the stronger moments. And Barrymore in general is very good at emoting. He's emoting so hard. Yeah. No, it, yeah, sure. Sometimes so it's those cute are the positive elements when they're like the holding hands and it's, stuff. It's but... that the plotting is... Yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, an albino whale has been eluding harpooners. Every time I see things... Why is it spelled harpooners, not harpooners? Like, I think that the answer is that in general English usage, the word harpooner is actually more common than harpooner. But harpooner is the word that's consistently used throughout the book Moby Dick. I have never seen the word harpooner outside of this Wikipedia page. I've only ever seen harpooner. Um, I mean, I think they use the word harpooner a lot in the subtitles for um, the whale god, and they certainly used that word in the, like, title texts for this film. And I, Okay, I, think... I just completely glossed over it because I know what the right word is. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you, but I just do think that the spelling and pronunciation harpooner is standard uh... 21st century English at this point. I'm sorry. Uh... Anyways. Um... Uh, albino whale has been eluding harpooners and bears the scars of many failed attacks against him. The animal's fame has reached epic proportions. One day, Ahab and Derek are on the same whaler as the whale heaves into view. Ahab raises his harpoon to kill the beast, but at that moment, Derek pushes him overboard and Ahab loses his right leg to the whale. Not long after this incident... <sighs> nope, say it. You said you were going to read this. The shallow Esther rebuffs Ahab as her suitor once she catches sight of his peg leg. Heartbroken at this turn of events, Ahab blames neither Esther nor his brother. Instead, he transfers blame and an undying hatred onto the whale. The following saga of Ahab's pursuit of the whale takes on the aura of a superhuman quest far beyond the proportions of its first motivation. So this is clearly like back of DVD box copy or something. And it's just wrong. It's straightforwardly wrong. Esther does not rebuff him. She is horrified to see that her sweetheart has lost a leg. And there's like a lot of him feeling sort of like, uh, how can I, how can I be with her when I'm, you know, I've been broken in this way. And Derek convinces him that this is a terrible situation and that Esther and Derek have actually fallen in love since he's been on shore with her while Ahab Seeley's been off, you know, scouring the seas for whales. And in what I can only call the most contrived moment of a quite contrived film, uh, Ahab is, like, coming up to their villa, uh, the, the Harper Villa, to, you know, 
see Esther after she was, you know, so pit horrified and pitiable towards him, and he sees what appears to be them kissing Derek and Esther, but it's actually that their shadows happen to slightly coincide on the blinds when, in fact, they were standing, like, a foot apart talking. Yes. It's... Like, there's no sense that Derek maneuvered her into, like, the shadow of a kiss or anything. It just sort of happened. Yeah, he, he's he's specifically, like, he's come ashore, uh, he's, like, met with Esther. He goes to, like, a party. You mean par- Ahab, not Derek. Uh, Ahab, yeah. Ahab, like, goes to a party where Esther is, and he, like, won't actually come into the ballroom. Because they're all dancing there. Yeah, the, the film does a lot with just, like, emphasizing legs. Oh, yeah, lots of, like... Early on in the film, there's a lot of him, like, tapping his leg, and we get, frankly, a lot of ankle shots for a 1920s film. Yeah, no, it just really wants you to know that before it got taken away, Ahab's leg was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's... <laughs> anyway, so he, he he shows up at this party, and people are dancing, and he won't go into the, the ballroom, and, like, she sees him and sees that he's uh, got this peg leg, and she's like, oh no, how pitiful! Uh, and, you know, she's like like, hugging him and very sad, uh, but he can't stand this because he doesn't want to be pitied, so he leaves. And then, um, like, he talks to Derek later, and Derek is like, yeah, you know, while you were off at sea, you left me with her, and I guess we kind of fell in love, and... And the only reason she claimed that she was still in love with you is that she, you know, saw how horribly you were maimed and pitied you. Like, at no point does Esther do anything blameworthy, even a little. She's the extremely pure Hollywood love interest. Yes, and, and like, and Ahab has, I think, the reasonable response to this news, which is like, well, I'd like to go hear it from her. Yes. So that's when he goes to the house and sees their silhouettes and is then like, oh no, they're kissing, I have to leave and never speak to either of them again. And it's like, you were just about to go confirm with her. But yeah, no. but yeah, no, it's the conven- the extremely conventional romance. So we should go through what actually happens at the end of the movie, which is not in any way covered in the plot section, which is so there's a time skip of three years in which uh, Ahab has apparently become captain of the Pequod and has been scouring the seas for Moby Dick. In a totally overt way. Everyone on his crew knows that he's hunting Moby Dick. Yes. His crew is, you know, this mixed bunch, just as in the book, but here it's purely done for color. There's no real engagement with it, but, you know, not a huge surprise. There wasn't much of engagement with it in uh, 1956's Moby Dick either. Yeah, there, there's, but, there's just not a lot of discussion at all about why people would sign on board this Pequod, especially because there is a scene where some sailors are, like, in a tavern or whatever, and one of them's like, ah, don't sign on with Captain Ahab's boat. The His sailors uh, have to spend their pay in the hospital when they get on shore. Um, yeah, but I think the implication is that only the wildest, and by this we mean the least white sailors, are signing on with Ahab. I mean, yeah, probably, but, like, there's there's no there's no discussion of, like, oh, yeah, there's a great risk, but, like, you'll get so much whale oil and you'll make a lot of money. Like, Yeah, there's no doubloon. No. No, in fact, Ahab's crew are apparently just along because they like him. Uh, like, that is the only <laughs> conclusion I can draw from the, like, uh, from the film that we saw. At no point was it discussed why they're on board, except that they all seem to be really invested in Ahab. Yes. Um, anyway, so, yeah, he's been he's been hunting the white whale for three years. Um, meanwhile, Esther and her father and Derek have been living in Mauritius. Yeah, it's very funny the degree to which she is just, whatever we see her, just 
pining. Like, she's lying on the bed with her hair spread out behind her angelically across the white mattress going, Ahab, Ahab, just so you know that she at no point in time has ever even considered dating the half-brother of the man who just up and vanished on her to chase a white whale for years. Yeah, like, apparently Derek has just been hanging around for three uh, years. The title card describes him as her shadow, so he's just been around being like, hey, hey, I'm physically present, (laughs) I'm here. I've got two legs. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just standing around in shorts being like, what a great day to have legs. Mm." (laughs) But, oh God, I have to say, the early title card that introduces Derek was kind of the... One of the funniest things in a movie filled with, for me, inadvertent hilarity. Because it was, Ahab loved the sea. Derek, his half-brother, hated it as much as Ahab loved it. Or something to that effect. It's just like, are you characterizing him as villainous? Because A, he's Ahab's half-brother and Ahab Seeley is clearly our protagonist. But also, he because he hates the sea? Like, that's just an inherently bad trait, I guess? Yeah, so Ben and I watched the first half of this film last night when I think at least I was definitely feeling quite punchy. Uh, And so I wrote down a bunch of the bullshit we said. And one thing I wrote down, I don't know which of us said this, but valid. The sea is quite hateable. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely didn't say that. Which, like, that's the thing, like... It's a very weird title card to try to introduce us to the idea that Derek is villainous because, like... Ahab's defined by his hatred of a specific part of the sea. Yes, and, like... Well, it's a thing in the sea, but whatever. Yes, like, it... it, In no way is the idea of, like, loving the sea developed as, like, a heroic characteristic at, like, any other point in the narrative. Uh, Yeah. It just feels like they want us to know that Derek is a hater. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Oh, but yeah, so Derek, Esther, and uh, Reverend Harper are all sailing back. There's this weird aside that like he's basically given up on converting Mauritians because you can't scare them with the fires of hell in this hot climate, which, wild. Just wild. Yeah, so they're going back to New Bedford. So at the same time as Ahab's voyage is, uh, you know, sailing, seeking the white whale, this other ship is... Uh, you know. Returning. It's crossing the ocean. Yeah, and uh, they kind of... When Ahab's ship uh, encounters this, like, water spout and storm and is about to encounter Moby Dick... Yeah, there's there's a whole thing around that water spout that we don't need to get into the beat by beat, but they're very clearly super impressed by the idea of a water spout as a very cool kind of storm. Anyway, at the same time, uh, the, the Harpers and Derek are also in this storm and their boat is or their ship is wrecked i don't Um, think it actually is like it's going back and forth but what actually happens is that the sailors say lock those idiots in the cabin so they're not swept overboard and the response of the idiots in the cabin is oh my god they've locked us in and they break out and then uh derek is swept overboard but the other two are fine the boat continues on fine derek later says the ship foundered but he just got swept overboard. He thought it was foundering. Okay, yeah, I guess that's what happened. We never see the ship wrecking, and we never get an explanation for how they could have survived the wreck. So I think the... Yeah, no, you're you're right. Cause, cause, uh, because um, the Harpers do make it safely back to New Bedford. Yeah, with no, with no problem. It is just that Derek got swept overboard and thought the ship foundered because he was an idiot. Yeah. I, I side with the captain of that boat, locking, them, locking these passengers into the cabin because they're freaking out over a storm that is clearly not that bad. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, <sighs> in the middle of the storm, 
Okay, so Fadala is in this movie. Yeah, Fadala and Pip are in this movie, but first of all, Pip is white. And second of all, Pip was a fellow sailor of Ahab's on, like, the previous boat he was on where he lost his leg, the three brothers where he was a harpooner. And Pip is depicted as, like, kind of weird, and I think he's described in the title cards as a halfwit, but he's not, like, Pip from the books. And what's important is that he alone, somehow, sees Derek push Ahab off the uh, whale boat when uh, when they're hunting Moby Dick. Uh, So he alone knows that Derek uh, got Ahab injured in this way. Yes. So, uh, when he signs on to the Pequod in New Bedford and tries to say, like, Oh, Captain Ahab, I know something about your past. Ahab, like, threatens him with a harpoon and says, I have no past. Yeah, but it's then, great. uh, uh, in, in the middle of the, uh, of the storm, uh, you know, Pip, like, comes to Ahab again and he's like, I'm afraid to die without telling you this. And so he, he finally, in that moment, tells Ahab, like, it's your brother's fault you lost your leg. Yep, um, Ahab doesn't take it super well. No, I... For obvious reasons, he's like, why are you just telling me this now? And yeah, yeah. It, it, and it turns out that uh, we get, like, a flashback that Derek threatened him. So Derek's absolutely a 1920s movie villain in all respects. He's trying to steal his half-brother's sweetheart. He's, uh, like, he's weird ma- and manipulative, but at no point does he do anything that would not be, like, fundamentally PG-13 rated. Yeah, he, like, it's, it's interesting that, uh, it, I feel like we can understand that he was probably trying to kill Ahab, but didn't He did this by just, it? like, shoving him the one time, and then apparently Ahab forgot that he was shoved, because he's not, like, chasing the person who pushed him off the whale boat. Yeah. He's just pursuing Moby Dick, so the whole, sh- apparently, only Pip, including Ahab, perceived that Derek pushed him yep. in any way, shape, or form. So, Pip tells him Ahab obviously has now got a bit of a new way of thinking about things and then Derek washes up on the Pequod because like floating on a piece of driftwood um and he's brought on board where he's like hey brother looks at leg yeah it's you um and you know Ahab's like I know what you did or rather actually it's not like that it's stupider god it's like I don't mean to be super complaining about you know uh 1920s silent film plotting being kind of conventional and sort of straightforward and like utterly anti um utterly anti-subtle but this is still a very dumb scene to me where pip is like looking over the railing at what's going on there and uh um derek sees pip and then immediately turns to him and says he's lying it wasn't true or something no he doesn't say that he says so you know everything oh god you're right you're right he doesn't even try to be like like, the obvious smart thing to do would be to completely play dumb, right? Yes, yeah. Or, and be like, oh, look, it's Pip from back when we sailed together. Oh, you know, that, that, you know, that rascal. I can't believe you took him on. He's so given to lying. Like, yes. y- there's things you could do that are not subtle, that are still 1920 serial villain behavior. Yes. But that would be slightly less, and now I get myself killed, than telling the captain of a ship, which, you know... As was said in the book, and is it repeated here, there's one lord on earth in heaven and one lord on the Pequod. Yes, but so yeah, he immediately like cops to it. And tries to pull a knife on him. Yes, and there's a there's a fight. Uh... Which Ahab wins because he 
sticks his peg into one of the peg holes on the deck of the peckwad, so uh, Derek cannot force him over the rail. And in fact, he forces Derek over the rail, and I really thought Moby Dick was going to eat him right there. Yeah. And I was deeply disappointed by the fact that Derek just leaves the film that way. Yeah, he just presumably drowns. Um, but Moby he- Dick does show up. Yeah, so, like, immediately after that, uh, after Ahab has achieved, like, the actual, actual revenge, the actual meaningful revenge, yeah, Moby Dick shows up and he decides he wants bonus double revenge yeah, still. Yeah, no, he decides, and, like, you know, that's not un- it, that's not incorrect to Ahab as a character. Sure, but he he sets out in his in his uh, whale boat. He goes after. He harpoons Moby Dick, and then someone says it's sounding, and they all leap out of the boat. They cut the line, but Ahab Seely grabs the line and is dragged after Moby Dick, who doesn't sound. He just keeps going sideways. So Ahab is able to pull himself up the line, and then with a in what must be the first pictorial depiction of, or at least in film, of Guy clings to side of Whale stabbing him, which we've seen in every film adaptation yeah, of Moby yeah. Dick so far. Everyone just really wants the image of a guy actually on the side of a whale stabbing it to death. Yeah, and this is the least developed of them, because he's like, he's half in the water, he's clinging to the side, he's just dangling on the rope, stabbing. Whereas the other two are both going to have the, like, riding halfway up the whale, stabbing, and it's much, I think, better framed and more effective that way. Like, this, this him clinging to the side of the whale, which isn't really present here. Yeah. Uh, but, so, you know, in The Whale God and in Moby Dick 1956, uh, the image of someone, like, you know, netted to the whale or, like, hanging off of the whale is an image of death in the process of slaying the whale. Uh, but not here. Yeah, no, he just successfully kills the whale. And whale dead. Gets to Moby go Dick home. Moby Dick dead. And then when they land in New Bedford, everyone, like, shakes his hand as they yeah, leave the Yeah, and they're Peckwad. all, like, sad that Ahab is leaving them. Like, Fidala and the character who is clearly a composite of Dagu and Queequeg but is never named, uh, both, like, sadly shake his hand and he, like, Barrymore pats them on the shoulder before he takes off, you know, into New Bedford. Now, he thinks that Esther and her father are dead because Derek said that the boat had foundered. He was wrong. So he goes up, you know, into New Bedford. He sees a boat with the title Esther painted on the hull and is, like, visibly sad. I kind of laughed at that. It was very funny. Oh, yeah. He also, like, at this moment clutches his locket. He has a heart-shaped locket. Oh, he's had a heart-shaped locket with... The entire, stuff, the entire movie. The entire movie, And it's it's oh. it's been used in all kinds of heavy-handed ways. Like, every time he's feeling sad about her, he looks at it, obviously. Um, the moment when he realizes that she actually loved him all along and uh, that he was merely tricked into uh, abandoning her, uh, he looks at the locket uh, hanging on the wall and, like, stares at it, and then you see his eye up close, and then, like, the, sil- the little white silhouette of the heart-shaped locket appears in his eye. Yeah. It's... Heavy-handed is not even the word. Ugh. Yeah. Um... Like, it's, it's honestly a ton of fun in that way, but it is very much early cinema. Yeah, it's, it's a silly movie. Yeah, yeah. Um... Anyways, he gets to the Harper residence, and he sees a dog on the porch, and the dog recognizes him, which, you know, if you're gonna borrow, borrowing from the Odyssey isn't bad. Sure. But yeah, it, it's she's fine, she's alive, and she still loves him, and they embrace, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah, no. He got double revenge, and he got his sweetheart back. Yeah, no, it's, uh, everything's coming up Ahab. Yeah. Every single thing goes right for Ahab, except for the bit where he lost his leg, which itself, he explicitly says in the fight, is what allows him to defeat Derek. 
Yes. That's basically a Marvel movie, isn't it? I what? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's. I'm just joking about how like the thing that the villain did or accidentally taught the hero that they ultimately bring back to fight them is like classic, you know, straightforward hero versus villain final fight yes. in Hollywood. And this is, you know, obviously like a classic. It's like 1926. It's where this comes from as like a very sort of obvious through line. I just think it's very funny that that's still such a staple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, it, it works. It To be clear, that is one of the things I do like. If you're going to do... Ahab leg obsession brother fight, having his peg leg win him the day, and having previously allowed him to stand uh, stand at the helm through a terrible storm, uh, I think is a very, it's a good little note. It successfully captures not Ahab from the book, but what they're doing with this new character Ahab Seeley is not terrible, it's just very conventional. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's a... Uh... Uh, it's a very straightforwardly Hollywood 1926 movie. It is very much of that era and of that style, and in some sense, Moby Dick has just sort of been poured into that mold. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's just kind of using, like, light touches of Moby Dick to form the basis of, like, a sea adventure and romance story. Yeah. It's funny, though, because Barrymore was actually a big fan of Moby Dick, as we've seen from, like, everyone who makes a Moby Dick movie— Someone involved was obsessed with Moby Dick. <laughs> um, like, that's just sort of, I think, necessary for this. But um, apparently, uh, and this is discussed in the production section of the Wikipedia page, so it's not like deep lore, but it could have been one of the first uh, talkies, or rather one of the first uh, movies with an attached soundtrack. That, that's different from a talkie. It, it is, but it's like, it's the prototype technology that became the talkies shortly thereafter. But it's, it's what was called Vitaphone soundtrack. Um, however, uh, and Barrymore, after the success of 1924's Bo Brummel, uh, he'd signed a three-film contract with Warner Brothers in 1925. He'd always wanted to do a film version of Moby Dick, so he insisted on making that the first film. The second film of that three, Don Juan, was the first Vitaphone soundtrack feature made by uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah. So he just barely prevented us from having a like an official established soundtrack for this movie recorded with it. And frankly, I thank him for it. I really appreciate that we didn't get that uh, soundtrack. Anyways, the uh, the soundtrack we did get... Yeah, it's so, amazing. So we watched this on YouTube. Um, it's it's terrible quality. We had a hard time understanding what was going on sometimes. But yeah, I, and it seems to be a rip of the two thousand and seven release. Sure, because we saw at the end that little uh, like um, thing two thousand and seven copyright pops up at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's possible that a bet we could have found like a better quality version of this somewhere, but uh, eh. we were trying to <laughs> do something that wouldn't take us very long to prep, so. Anyway, um, it, it's, the thing is, the soundtrack that they put on this YouTube video anyway, I, I don't know whether, I don't know where exactly the it Tele came from. It's the Televista 2007 version, but we don't know if that's the YouTube soundtrack. The Televista may have its own soundtrack. Uh, the point being that it's like mostly, um, like orchestral. Schmaltzy 1920s style orchestral Yeah, like, like film it's, music. it's, uh, I, I, I can't. But I'm not totally sure because I couldn't completely tell from like the um, kind of uh, names of the songs and like the, the in composers. the music credits because like okay 
you know how often YouTube videos will have a listing under there of like uh, songs in this YouTube video. Yes. So there's one of those and it lists a bunch of like soundtrack songs and they all seem to be these orchestral score things that were either composed in like the 30s through the 50s as film soundtracks. Or meant to evoke that. Yeah. Anyway... And they the sound... music is not super well chosen for the events. Like, it mostly tracks with the uh, events of the story. But, like, there's some, like, dramatic action that has, like, kind of a schmaltzy, like, romantic-sounding song. Yeah, I think, the, I think the moment that is most frustrating to me in terms of soundtrack is early on, there's a number of, like, wailing sea shanties that will curdle your blood, and they've got, like, uh, you know, the title cards have, you know, lyrics about hanging Johnny, who just loved hanging people, including his family, and other, like, intense wailing uh, shanties. And uh, the song they're playing over that is, like, kind of a waltz. It's like, it's very orchestral violins, it's very, like, like chipper and lighthearted, and it completely lacks any of the energy that these shanties are supposed to be bringing to this scene. Yeah. Um, however, that's... However, so that, those are not the only pieces of music used uh, yes. in this film, and for some reason, none of the pieces of music I'm about to describe are cited underneath the YouTube video, so I don't know where they came from, but there's a bunch of, like jrpg battle sounding songs and they only come up when moby dick appears moby dick has a jrpg boss soundtrack in this yeah movie. there's it's like amazing there's like you know like uh like driving beats and like electric guitars and like electronic noises yeah there's definitely like some like it really does sound like a final fantasy track from like the early 2000s uh there was know. one bit where you were like damn this emia remix is kind of long oh yeah no the um <laughs> during the storm in the water spot which is technically not when moby dick's on screen but it is like this dramatic moment they're playing like it's got like uh choral vocals but clearly like synthesized choral vocals and like a beat and it is just 100% it is a like visual novel uh background music the kind that you find a dozen remixes of on YouTube it's amazing it was truly beautiful and i was as Moby Dick was approaching for the second time, Moby Dick only appears twice and is also the only whale that appears in this movie. But when Moby Dick approaches that second time when Ahab's going to go out and get his revenge, there's this moment of silence. And I was just going, please, the JRPG soundtrack, please. And it just comes in super hard. And I, I was so happy. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It just, it is so beautiful that the freely available 1926 The Sea Beast, the, like, schlocky, schmaltzy, romance story version of... No offense to romance stories, but I don't think this was the right base material for it. Version of Moby Dick with John Barrymore has this JRPG driving soundtrack for any time they're actually facing Moby Dick, and it rules. It absolutely <laughs> rules. And also, it gives this amazing sense of unreality to the first time they go after Moby Dick, where it's like, is that, is that a, a backbeat? Is that, is that JRPG music? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Um, I mean, like, oh, it's, it's fun, but it's, it's very strange. Yeah. Uh, There's also a five-minute section where they just didn't have any music. Yeah, yeah. And it was so, that was even weirder. We were like, are they eerie. just done having background music? But no, they just stopped for a little while. Yeah, it felt like if this were a live performance, the musicians just, like, took a break. <laughs> just took a smoke break for five minutes, came back and started playing again. Yeah. <sighs> 
So we should go through some of those those things that we noted down during the. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess so. Um, <sighs> I mean, one thing we did discover is. And you know this is this is us being terribly uncultured, but it is so much fun to just talk over a silent movie. <laughs> yeah, like it. It first of all, obviously, we're not gonna Miss fail anything. to hear yeah. the dialogue. Also, like it's pretty slow. Like most of the time, when there was like a like just an emotional beat that was being portrayed on screen. They it was held drawn on out. Yeah. for much longer than either of us is used to. Yeah, no, to be fair, it makes sense. It's a silent film. There's You want to get uh, information from the actors emoting, so you're not getting it from their lips moving. Uh, and Barrymore is... Barrymore was very well regarded. He was, I think, a Shakespearean actor. His Hamlet was considered, like, definitive for his era. Um, and... He's great at emoting. Like, uh, apparently one of the reviews from the Times said that the moment where you see him, like, getting his stump cauterized uh, to deal with his uh, lost leg was almost too moving, almost too emotive. It was too gruesome for most theater-going audiences. So this is apparently what was considered really intense and, uh, you know, unwatchable in the 20s. Yeah, I mean, you know, it... I'm just saying, we're a bit jaded now. Yeah, yeah, but... You know, he does seem like he's in horrible pain. Yeah, yeah, no, no, he does. Oh, there's another cauterizing scene. And this is a, there is an additional scene that I consider probably the best new addition in this movie. Because it in- incorporates both Ahab's monomania and his romance with Esther, this new additional thing, in a way that I thought was quite effective. Yeah, so he has, and we see this early in the film, he has a, a tattoo of her name on the inside of his elbow. With like a heart, and the because the film is not of, this isn't of archival quality, uh, it's often a bit washed out, so we just had to sort of recognize that when he stared at the inside of his elbow and it was just sort of faded white with a little bit of, that's a heart with an Esther in it. Yeah, we just had to kind of put that together from context. Yeah, also, no letter that is ever displayed on screen is legible. Yeah, there's a number of times where people read letters and we couldn't read them at oh. all. That reminds me, that reminds me, when the movie opens, there's Moby Dick, and they open the cover of the book, and there's, like, the opening, but it's not Call Me Ishmael. Yeah, they show you, like, the what they're pretending are the first lines of Moby Dick, and it's not the incredibly famous first line of Moby Dick, it's, because there's no Ishmael in this no, movie. No, you're totally right, that, that has to be the reason they couldn't actually, but they didn't have the... The basic decency to turn to a random page in the middle where it says something about, like, the courage of whalers. Because that's a thing Ishmael talks about a lot. But here you just have this thing about how, like, whalers are the most courageous of sailors or something like that. I don't remember. It was frankly annoying. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was weird. <laughs> oh. <sighs> so. <sighs> yeah, no, the. The scene that is so, like, intense is that, so he has this tattoo of, that says Esther, and he's decided she's no longer in love with him, she loves Derek, and he's, you know, going out to get revenge on the white whale that took his leg and destroyed his love and destroyed his life. So he takes a harpoon and he heats it up in the, uh, in the forge on the ship, heats it up till it's red hot, and he cauterizes the tattoo off with the harpoon. And, you know... I said earlier that I didn't think I'd called anything gothic. I just called Esther kind of goth when she's like staring out the window pallidly waiting for him. But no, that scene I think I did call gothic. You were right. Yeah. The, the context of this being a, a, 
before we recorded, I was like, Ben, how many times are you going to call this movie gothic? And he was like, I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, burning off your tattoo of the love that you've lost is, you know. With the harpoon. That's, if it were just burning off the tattoo, I'd consider it evocative, but, you know, sort of standard. But it's the combination of the harpoon as a symbol. And in general, I will say this movie does lean into the harpoon as the symbol of, like, his obsession. There's, like, a rack of harpoons in his cabin that he, like, touches as he comes in and does some great facial expressions about. There's also just a scene of, like, everyone on the Pequod being super gung-ho about forging harpoons. Oh, yeah. The, the title card is, like, he kept them constantly forging harpoons that would weld closer than glue made from the bones of murderers, which... Okay. There's a number, not a lot, but a number of selections of actual text from Moby Dick that have been incorporated into title cards, and not a single time was it earned. Yeah, no, they were always like, you don't know what you're doing, like, this isn't... There was one moment where... Like, there was a, a title card where someone is like, the whale spouts black blood, and we were like, no, he doesn't! The whale's not dying yet! Ah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Like, you got a harpoon in him, and now you're saying he spouts black blood, so we can go home, right? Yeah, the, the movie does not know what that means. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's very little interest in the intricacies of whaling, obviously. There's some scenes of, like, whalemen disassembling whale, but not a ton. Um... I will say that the uh, hmm, the use of Moby Dick language that I thought was the most egregious was when he, he has lost his leg, but he's bearing up as well as possible. He's not yet a monomaniac. He's not yet sworn vengeance. He's hoping to go see his sweetheart and hopes that she'll still have him with, you know, when he doesn't have both his legs. Emphasis on visual of legs. Um... And they use the, you know, his broken body, you know, uh, bled into his broken, like, his uh, torn body bled into his torn soul. That classic image of, like, how Ahab stewed on the long voyage back. But if you do that, he can't then be, like, capable of, like, pitching woo. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's very weird. Like, he, he, he isn't yet monomaniac at that point. No, not even a little. Like, the, the moment where his torn body might bleed into his torn soul in this is when he cauterizes off the literal symbol of his attachment to someone on shore. It's... <sighs> also, apparently, according to the cast list, that is Dagu, not Queequeg. Yeah, there's a Dagu and a Queequeg in the Wait, cast really? list. Wait, really? Yeah, there's... there's Yeah. I did not see the Queequeg even once. Yeah, I don't know. Ne not, neither of these characters was named, and I'm neither sure they were... Neither of them speaks. And they were both, you know... Uh, horrible caricatures, visually speaking. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, there is a, um, there's also a Fadala, who is also a horrible caricature, visually speaking, but does get, like, spoken lines. And, frankly, this movie is, like, completely positive about Fadala, in a certain sense. Yeah, so, like, what Fadala does in this narrative, um, there's, there's, like, when he's introduced, it's like, ah, he was... Picked up from a shipwreck. Picked up from a shipwreck, yeah. And, and he sort of advises Ahab on finding Moby Dick. And he, like, uh, it seems like to some extent he just kind of has, like, navigational knowledge of it or, like, reports of where it yeah, Moby Dick has yeah. been sighted. But he also does do this sort of prophecy thing. And he's like, ah, you'll see Moby Dick, like, when the sky and the sea meet. Um, and this Ahab has no patience for that at all. Yeah, no, zero patience. And then literally two minutes later, yeah. they see a water spout. Like, he runs out of the cabin where he's been shouting, like, tell me what you actually mean. And frankly, I imagine Fidal was just sort of thinking, three, two, one, gestures towards doors. Pitt bursts in saying, we've seen a water spout. 
Yes. Um, <sighs> and, uh, yeah, like, this Fadala just helps Ahab find the white whale, and Ahab successfully gets his revenge, and everything's fine. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, they shake hands as they're, uh, as Ahab leaves the ship. Presumably, Fadala is now captain of the Pequod, question mark? Or is Ahab gonna come back and sail it more? I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a family man now, right? He's gonna I mean, get yeah, married he's and a have new, kids. He's a new Bedford family man. He widowed that girl the day he married her. <sighs> I mean, he didn't, because this is not a movie that believes in that. But that's a thing he said in the book. I know. <sighs> Anyways, this, you know... I had a lot of fun with this movie, but a lot of it was talking over it and joking around about it. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I am interested by the fact that uh, um, Fadal's actor was not Yellowface, which was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. It's not as though he's not being presented as a visual character. Yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, he's played by, like, uh, an actor. So the... the a few of the actors are introduced by name in the title cards. Like, yes. after their character is introduced, the actor's name is given. And this actor is, like, one of the maybe four actors who get that Yeah, there's, um, there's Esther, there's Ahab, there's Derek, and there's, uh, Fidala, yeah. Yeah, and Fidala's, uh, actor is Sojin Kamiyama, um, who seems to have had just, like, a huge, a, a He appeared in over 70 career. films. Anyway, yeah. Um, Although, I will say that... The list of his roles between uh, in his career between um, 1917 and 1954, it's very clear that he was in Western films called upon to play mostly extremely stereotypical characters. Yeah, when you say Western films, you mean like American movies, not specifically yeah, yeah. Westerns, although I'm sure some of them are Oh, Westerns. yeah, I, I have no idea about that. But yes, no, no, I mean, I mean, American films, yes. Anyway, yeah, um... It's like, I mean, you're right that it's not yellow face, but it is, uh... It is, it is not non-racist. It's just that I was surprised that it wasn't yellow face. Yeah. Because, Lord knows that's what I expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would imagine that, uh... Uh, I, I'd have to look this up to be sure, and maybe there's not time for us to do this right now, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if, um, some of the other roles were also, like, were, white people in makeup. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm... There's a reason I am surprised that he wasn't. Uh, okay, so... Uh, I think we've more or less covered, like, the plot of the film, these various decisions. Uh, oh, one thing I want to make sure to mention is the idea of someone naming their children Ahab and Derek uh, yes, it's is a, very funny. It's, it's a very funny contrast, yes. I mean, I wonder if maybe Derek is one of those names, like Kimberly... Or, or, or Tiffany, I think Tiffany is the one I'm actually thinking of, where, like, we have a modern association with that name that, that's based on, like, when it became popular in the modern, in, in like, relatively recent times. But it yeah. was extremely popular at a previous time in history, and so, like, it comes, like, um, uh, like, the thing with, with the name Tiffany is that it, it feels like kind of a, like, cute prissy maybe like slightly old-fashioned girl's name yeah to like a modern reader but it was a very it was very common in what like the middle ages is i like that? i don't know when tiffany was I, i'm trying to a... remember i feel bad that i can't remember this anecdote my point is it may be that like the name Derek did sound like an appropriate name for like a new bedford whaler and to like a i mean i'm sure that audience. Derek is a perfectly fine name for a whaler it's the 
it's the lack of uh, synchrony between Ahab, named after an evil king from the Bible, as we have been often told, and Derek, which is apparently a form of, uh, like, Theodoric, as it's, like, ancient, it's medieval, like, version. So, definitely not a biblical name. Yeah. And uh, also... Not, like, really a impressive and villainous name compared to Ahab. So you'd think that maybe they would play up the idea that Ahab's the dark one, but he's actually the good guy. But no, Derek is just obviously a scheming jerk from, like, minute 10. Yes. God, that's... There's... Sorry. Oh, you did just remind me, speaking of, like, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the movie re- presenting Ahab as, like, the good guy... In a totally straightforward way, and Derek is just, like, obviously evil the whole time. Um, so the two actors do actually look fairly similar. Um, and this was a major issue for me and Ben. Especially oh, yeah, earlier no, early in the on, movie. Early on, it was impossible to tell who was pitching Wu to Esther. Yeah, and, and there's a scene where uh, one of the characters is, like, kind of with Esther in a garden. And they're, like, kind of uh, holding each other. And he, like forces a kiss on her she's like visibly struggling and so ben and i were both like oh this is derek like he's he... making a move while, yeah. while ahab's gone yeah but like we really we realized later in later scenes no that's ahab that's leading man behavior in 1926 yeah yeah and uh like there's some there's some intense hand-holding action when she's like like, drawing her hand back and he grabs it yeah. before the kiss. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was the romance novel term for Oh, this? yes. So when I saw that kiss happen, I was like, ah, oh, yes, this is what is known in romance novel circles as a punishing kiss. Which should have, I should have put together. Because in, like, romance novels from basically the 20s through, like, the 80s, um, the, you know, male leads... Uh, do that yeah the the they i mean for for a lot of romance novels um like straight up rape was like basically like a core part of the genre um like by the hero yes yeah um but and and like so i should have thought to myself like oh yeah this has those types of vibes so this must actually be ahab this is not oh. villain behavior i should but... note that the youtube version is a bit fuzzy we've mentioned a few of the visual issues so like i'm sure if we'd watched a crisper version it would have been easier to tell them apart but i do wish they'd give them different hairstyles yeah yeah or like consistently different hats or something they did get different hats eventually. Uh, Derek definitely had the slightly evil fancy hat, and Ahab had, like, the lopsided cap. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> God, I'm just looking through some of the notes for just things we can, noticed. Can you read my handwriting at all? Mostly. <laughs> but, like, uh, I definitely recognize the the bit, which is um, after he's lost his leg and he's, like, you know, hobbling off to see her, and we see, like, people dancing, and it focuses in on the legs, and people, like, walking together focuses in on the legs, more people dancing focuses in on the legs, and it's exactly like the classic Simpsons sequence, where Bart isn't allowed to have a knife, because he hasn't gotten his, like, Boy Scout badge or whatever, Eagle Scout badge or whatever, and so he's going around, and everyone is just having fun with knives. (laughs) Like, you know, everyone's using knives for things, someone does a tracheotomy, and it's all thanks to my trusty pen knife. Like, 
It's just all knives. And it's this but legs. It's just everyone's having fun with legs. <laughs> having legs is clearly the best possible thing, and Ahab's only got one. Yeah. Oh, God. I also don't precisely remember when I shouted, Grog is for closers. I think this was after his leg was cauterized. Oh, right, And I was like, right. they're not even giving him any Grog right now. Well, yeah, now. but he didn't catch a whale. Grog <laughs> is for closers. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, we, we clearly had a lot of fun just saying things during this one. Yeah, uh, I mean, I gotta say, I feel like we've kind of exhausted what I actually have yeah, to say about I, this film. Like, So there's a few things that I do want to pull from the notes, such as, for example, the film isn't really interested in Moby Dick. No. Like, the white whale barely appears and it doesn't have any sort of meaning or purpose put on it. It's just there to be the big red heron, the big white heron yeah. of actually your enemy is Derek. And then the bonus revenge. Yeah, there's actually, there is a title card where somebody, like, this is when people are, like, the sailors are in the bar, like, talking about how, like, oh, it's so dangerous to sign on to the Pequod. Uh, someone is like, ah, revenge against a dumb brute. It's blasphemy. But, like, Again, not earned. That has nothing to do with anything that takes place in the story. Yeah, no, there's, there's no Starbuck, there's no quarter deck, there's no engagement with any of this. The Sea Beast is not fundamentally... Moby Dick. And more than that, the Sea Beast is not fundamentally interested in the Sea Beast of the title, unless that's either Ahab or Derek. Yeah, I think the real Sea Beast was man all along. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I think that's purposeful. I, think... I mean, maybe, I guess? Ugh. I don't like it, though. I know my Sea Beast, and it's a giant, horrible whale. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, but, yeah, another thing is that when... Ahab sees Derek come onto the ship. He looks up at the sky and, like, nods, like, Thanks, God, you did me a solid. Like, this is an aggressively providential movie in some ways. Everything comes out Ahab because he was wronged and he deserves it. And the ultimate mo motto, the ultimate, like, not mo moral of the movie is, Revenge is actually great and you should get it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. God will supply you your revenge and in fact, the universe is a fundamentally just place where lovers get back together, no one on your crew dies, except, and Derek gets his comeuppance in the end, even though you've lost a leg, which doesn't matter that much. It's... I really <sighs> wasn't expecting Ahab to personally kill Derek, because I thought that would be something that, like, if, if he just straight up stabbed him or whatever, that, like... I thought he would... I mean... So, so go on. Like, what actually happens is that... Derek that, tries to kill him. And yeah, he Derek kills attacks Derek in him, and then they, yeah, they have this, like, fight at the rail. And he kills him like a Disney villain. He pushes him off the boat, and we don't, he hits the water, and we don't see him again. I'm, I'm really disappointed that Moby Dick didn't eat Derek, which was the correct thing to have happen. And then you don't hunt Moby Dick, because in fact, Moby Dick has served as an instrument of vengeance, but instead, neither of those things happen. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's... Look, I can't, I cannot recommend this as an adaptation of Moby Dick. It's very funny in a lot of ways, and it's a perfectly fine 1920s movie, and John Barrymore emotes great. I suspect that if you want to watch a silent film, there are probably much better ones out there to watch. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would be, I would be so sad if that weren't true. <laughs> that would be so depressing. Ah, uh, but yeah, no, that's... It's the Sea Beast. It manages to pack in 
less content than uh, the 1956 Moby Dick in more time. Yeah. Not just because of silent film conventions, but I'm sure that didn't help. Uh, yeah. There's also a pile of babies at one point. When does that happen? At the party. At the oh party, they just God, have a bunch of, right. like, infants, and I have no idea why. I guess, I mean, I guess those are the children of the people who are dancing. And it's basically like, it's basically like what happens at, you know, like a... No, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like what happens at a party, you're right. Exa- like, all the kids get sort of corralled into a room with, like, one or two adults who are having to play babysitter. Yeah, no, that's, that's clearly the case. I guess they were just like, we can't show all these women dancing if we don't see what they're doing with their infants. Uh, 1920s, what are you on? I, I suppose that's what was happening, yeah. Like, there's just a lot of very 1920s stuff, and it is... It is fascinating to me to see what stood out as important or what stood out as a story to tell about Moby Dick in the 1920s. And, you know, maybe the studio was like, no, it needs to be more accessible. It needs to be more classically Hollywood or whatever. But it's just fascinating to see what a Moby Dick film was at that point in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. And the answer is a pile of babies, focus on legs, and double revenge is good, actually. God, I just realized that the dog is a through line. Because remember how early, early in the movie, Esther gives Ahab a dog and she's like, his name is Ezekiel. Call him Zeke on weekdays. God, yes, yes, you're right. Oh, there was also this mention of like, just because of weekdays coming up, like the, um, the captain of the three brothers is described as being a pious man on Sundays for about an hour. Like he reads from the Bible on Sundays for an hour and... The, the entire scene, I think, exists to show that um, during the Bible reading, uh, Ahab is only distracted by thinking of his sweetheart. Meanwhile, Derek is kind of not paying attention and fucking with other sailors. So I guess that was just to set up the dynamic of Ahab being the good half-brother. I, I suppose. Oh, I'm just... This movie... It's... It... it- it's silly. It's it a exists. silly movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's very silly. <sighs> Apparently, uh, the guy with a peg leg who said that Moby Dick took his earlier leg is Perth, according to the cast list. Huh. Okay. There's also a Stubbs who's apparently in there, but I don't remember seeing him. Like, it's it's hard to tell what characters are supposed to be what because there's so much changed and so little dialogue. And again, that's because of the form. It's not a talkie, but whatever. <sighs> this movie. Yeah. It's a fascinating piece of Moby Dick history. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah. I don't regret watching it. Um, certainly, certainly. But, I had uh, fun. Yeah. But- I mean, the most fun I had... Was the JRPG music. That absolutely was the highlight of this film for me, so I strongly recommend, if you do watch it, use that soundtrack. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I also like that it had stuff set on Mauritius. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's sure. Yeah, I I should mention that I have family who were from Mauritius way back when. There's a whole complicated family story, and it's it's a thing that we only sort of rediscovered in relatively recent years um, for various reasons but my dad's been sort of interested in rebuilding some of the family history there so i have a very sort of vague positive sense of mauritius and i'd really like to visit someday yeah that's totally fair i guarantee none of it was filmed in mauritius yeah i i i feel like the only reason that anything was in mauritius in this movie was to enable the part of the plot where 
uh, the Harpers and Derek are sailing from Mauritius back to New Bedford so that they can encounter the Pequod, like, going in the opposite direction. Yeah, well, so that Derek can encounter it. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're, I think you're totally right that that's the only reason they did it, and I wouldn't be surprised if they just had a set they thought looked like Mauritius that they could reuse for them. Oh, right, I guess the other reason that I find plausible that they set some of the action in Mauritius is that it, like... Exoticism. Yeah. It, Straight it, exoticism. It seemed, like, exciting for a sea adventure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, The Sea Beast, 1926. There is a talky version. They basically did a remake in 1930 of the talky version. I'm not planning on ever watching that, but I am, yeah. I'm a little curious, but since it sticks close to the plot of The Sea Beast, I don't have a lot of interest in it, frankly. Yeah. I, one Esther romance Ahab is enough for me, thanks, even if it's the same guy. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <sighs> Well, what tune is it we pull to, men? Double revenge and love! 